Hello and welcome to Beyond Top 10 Tennis. My name is Dr. Ashley Morgan-Burge and I'm your host. I'm the author of 12 books, a CEO of 12 years, the founder of a startup set on data privacy, most importantly, an elite performance coach of over 18 years, having worked with athletes throughout Europe, the United States to Australia. Most excitingly, I am the world's leading scientist on coach and athlete performance, specifically behind how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking. My work includes everything from mitigating injuries to conditioning behaviors that set a player up long-term for the long game towards a top 10 tennis ranking. I'm behind theories from the optimal performance theory, optimal behavior for optimal performance, the barrier breaker, the rule of transference to the golden rule. As has become custom, each episode we dive into one of my books to share additional insights and dig a little deeper. We've been focusing on the secrets to optimal coaching success, the role of experience, optimal performance practices and outcomes in the real world with over 70 episodes to date. Today's topic plays its own role like so many other episodes in developing the player, parent to coach for that road ahead towards a top 10 tennis ranking. So as always, buckle in and enjoy the ride. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, look, if you've been with us for some time now, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. If you are new, as always, I really would encourage you to track back at least to a handful of our previous episodes to get a feel, uh, especially from where we've been to where we're going. And I think most, I think importantly, the last couple of episodes, we, we've taken um, a different change of pace uh, um, and we've a little bit of a, a shake up in a manner of speaking, um, just pulling on uh, the Australian Open and really using that as a platform to build upon. So we have been integrating the science in a manner of speaking. So specifically in um, the text or the books we've been focusing on, whether it's the, uh, the secret stuff from performance success was all about, I think, the book to building those foundations to really explaining, I think, the applicability um, of the, the science, if you like, and how it is attributed to and how we leverage it to deliver that top 10 tennis ranking. But as we've grown into the secrets to optimal coaching success, we were very early on in the first few chapters and then 
with the release of my latest book, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking, that came out now, oh my goodness, nine weeks ago. What has also happened for, I guess, those of you who are not familiar, is that we found this space where we've been integrating not only the work, the research, the science, I think that the explanatory nature, I think that has become um, custom to Beyond Top 10 Tennis with the text is that the Australian Open was a launch pad in a manner of speaking to really share um, more of, I think, the, the scientific underpinnings of how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking, but primarily because the book was released and it'll, it freed me up in a manner of speaking to finally be able to share more and discuss more with you in conjunction with um, sharing the snippets from the book of focus to really, I think, um, merge or marry the two in a manner of speaking to get, I think, the best of both worlds. And uh, why it had not happened previously, essentially, was because um, Beyond Top 10 Tennis is less than a year old. Um, And the whole time Beyond Top 10 Tennis um, has been around and these episodes have been firing out, um, I was working on this the, the text. So my latest book, again, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking. And it wasn't until after December, so really um, around the time of the Australian Open, was I able to finally share, I think, those key snippets um, in conjunction again with um, the secrets to optimal coaching success and the given chapter, um, time permitting. Because... um, as um, I think we've been able to reframe um, where we've been and where we're going, I think it's really important to, I think, put a spotlight uh, first and foremost on both the WTA Tour and ATP Tour um, separately, but collectively, um, again, in a manner of speaking. But look at the rankings, the different movers, but also then the, the tournaments of focus and those results. So especially if you tuned in um, during the Australian Open, and if you're familiar with a couple of my texts, uh, specifically the What Is Your Game Missing series. And I, I'm touching on that one because what it did for the very first time, again in history, we're responsible for a lot of world firsts, specifically um, in tennis. And I think when we're looking at how we develop that top 10 tennis ranking, but also uh, my work's been responsible for pinpointing Grand Slam champions, future Grand Slam champions, and so forth. So Sabalenka and Sinner, for example, were flagged um, in the previous years that this would happen, as well as barrier breakers, which um, are players who are primed to break into the top 10. And, and there's a number of players over the years that we've flagged for this to happen, and it, it has happened, which is really cool. So what we've been doing 
is looking at the rankings and going, okay, the Australian Open happened and these were a couple of key players that we're going to flag and or keep our eye on. And now with these tournaments underway, it's already um, midway up through February that we're looking at the results and if that level of play has been able to be maintained, if there are progressions or regressions. So in a matter of speaking, I'm coming to you live um, with the with the data inadvertently by sharing um, I think uh, insights on a player's performance and what to expect in a, in a different manner of speaking because obviously it's um, we're tracking them and tracking their progress and if they're primed then to break into the top 20 uh, top 50 to top 10 etc well with varying metrics responsible for these outcomes but also I think their opponents and how we can gauge um, a specific level of play um, and if it has been consistent or if it's one off um, and I think that self-explanatory by, by nature but more so the, the more recent texts we're looking at um, performance metrics um, so when I have taken the time or an extensive amount of time and broken down each specific player's technical uh, parameters, inferences, so their technique, but when we're looking at the kinetic chain, so when we get a bit more um, scientific and why they are progressing or regressing in respect to these movements and or their own exclusive, I think, metrics and a manner of speaking. But because I've been doing that for an extended period of time now, so over 11 years, and that's only um, since the data's been tracked. It was probably another decade um, at least prior to that where it just wasn't being recorded. But it's put me in a position where I'm very familiar with what not only is required, and this is objective, so specifically um, when we're looking at, I think, scientific metrics, but how this interrelates with a player's performance. So when I'm able to view um, results of a, of a given player, we're looking at, I think, metrics, uh, statistics in a different manner. And I've touched on this in... Uh, recent blog posts as well is that a lot of I think players on both tours respectively use data data insights etc um, to enhance their performance or prepare them for I think their matches and so forth and I can't stress this enough. This this data, this science, in a manner of speaking, is completely different. So it's something that no player is currently using slash leveraging, which makes it very exciting. Um, the data specifically are what we're talking about and what I've built with um, over 150,000 inferences that support this. I think um, it's arguably one of, if not the biggest um, study of its kind that has ever been done. But what this allows us to do is to be player-centric, which means we're ignoring the opponent. It does The opponent does not matter. Use your current metric, your current system um, for your opponent. I'm focusing on the player, not your opponent, the player. I want you to look after your own game. And most excitingly, when you look after you and your own game and your own metrics, 
this is what happens. Not only when you're controlling and in control of your own game, your own technical metrics, your parameters, can you specifically and exclusively progress towards a top 10 tennis ranking? We've got grand slams um, that you're on the cusp of capturing to replicate its success, which is multiple grand slams. And I can't stress this enough. All of this has been built on during, I think, a longitudinal analysis when Serena was in action, Roger was in action, Raphael was in action, Novak were in action. All four of them were in action at their peak. And obviously there's been a slide off there where we've had um, some of them retired, um, almost ones that are going to, and obvious we know Jock, which is continuing to go. But then the data also um, addresses that, why that remains to be the case. But also, it's really interesting because over this period of time, we've had a generational change where we've got a lot of uh, younger players um, coming through and it's a breakthrough um, few years, uh, a window in a manner of speaking because Swiatek is now at the helm with four grand slams and we've got Rubikina and Sabalenka now and Gorf all with their grand slams, and of course, um, Vondrasova. And Austin Penko's back in the mix, and she's already got that grand slam, plus others. And then when we're looking on the ATP tour, obviously we know Djokovic is there, but with the newcomers, it's not just Elkras, we've got Sinner now with the grand slam, Medvedev, sorry, we know of, and we've got a couple of others knocking on the door, looking to, I guess, for that window. And I, I think that's where the, the tours differentiate, where the, the WTA tour have, have more. And I've touched on the reasons why. And it's not what I think a, a, a lot of people make think is that, oh, well, Djokovic is just too good, so he keeps capturing all of the slams. And that's um, unfortunately slash fortunately uh, incorrect because we're looking at metrics and why. And when you have a player who's able to specifically and exclusively um, produce these technical metrics that, again, our data um, addresses and pinpoints, of course, we know this is the end result. Um, Elkraz is edging there and why he hasn't been successful in Sinner as well. So we're looking for the other players who are able to maintain and deliver that level of play. And on the WTA tour, there's more now because they've been able to maintain and or deliver those metrics in their game. But we also know when there's a lapse. So when those technical metrics um, waver and become less consistent and we have to remember and I address this through again the what is your game missing uh, text and what is your game missing now text and what is your game missing to win text slash book but um Excuse, but also through um, how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking and the text prior to that, the seven keys to optimize your life using tennis to develop behaviors that deliver optimal performances in play and in life. Whew. Oh my goodness. So we have all of this work that has uncovered 
um, these technical metrics and have addressed them as such, but we know the windows and the metrics and what's responsible for that. And this is a very big discussion that can um, be continued but it's time, I think, to dig into uh, the WTA tour and then we'll go head on over to the ATP tour. We'll look at the rankings, um, but also the events that have been underway. Uh, the WTA tour only has one to three now that are underway or one that has been over the past week, an additional two that have kicked off this current week and um, the ATP tour however have a a bigger number we've got um, around six to seven events we're going to cover Um, and it's very similar to I think last week's episode where this is a very small window for the WTA tour and quite a um, a larger window on the ATP tour when we're looking at events and tournaments etc that are currently underway Um, so I think we're going to get started right so let's have a look at the rankings and any specific movers when we're looking i think on the wta tour um, we've got our first barrier breaker of the season which is really exciting austin penko has broken into the top 10. recall i think in the previous episodes when she was flagged to break into the top 10 so it was essentially only a matter of time but i i have to say that i absolutely love it when the data's right when these things do uh, i think come to fruition uh, on the flip side um, recall how we uh, addressed sakari how she was susceptible to regressing outside the top 10 and unfortunately that has been the case she has now um ranked 11 so she slipped outside i think i you know the top 10 tennis rankings but this is a really good time to i think pinpoint Um, my latest release how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking but specifically how I've touched on and how it unraveled the exclusivity of the 8% which means there are 8% of players um, each year who essentially maintain their hold um, inside the top 10 rankings and it's um, it can uh, fluctuate slightly but we're looking at 8 that really hold on to their ranking inside the top 10. And then we've got 2% of those players inside the top 10 that will regress each and every season outside the top 10. So we've got the newcomers, the barrier breakers that cross the threshold into the top 10 and those, because of that, that are going to be replaced. So this is an example now. Sakari has regressed outside the top 10. She was a part of the 2%, not the 8%, the 2%. Austin Penko now is inside the top 10, arguably inside the 2% until she solidifies her place inside the 8%. That could be or sound a little bit too much, but of course, to understand more, and you know what book to dive into. Um, everyone else is comfortably inside the top 10. However, um, Makova, because she's sidelined, she definitely is susceptible to regressing outside the top 10. Um, and I think that's only essentially a matter of weeks. And Sakari, she's really only one good win away from progressing back inside the top 10. 
but her performance has steadily been regressing of late which I think really uh, brings me on to discuss. I know she's um, parted ways with her uh, longtime coach. So it's going to be quite interesting because we've touched on in recent episodes how important it is and also a recent blog post as well to to build, I think, that, that core relationship with your coach. And this is delved into, I think, more explicitly again in my uh, latest book that's come out. But it it really underscores why a player's performance can regress when that relationship can potentially become fractured at some level. It doesn't mean that the the player and coach um, have a disagreement or are very unhappy with one another. However, something's amiss. Something is not complete, which brings me on to the eight keys. If you're familiar um, with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, then you know that I've touched on the seven keys to the eight keys. And the eighth key is unveiled again in in this latest book. But the seven keys are absolutely fundamental. Um, If you're not familiar, um, head on over quickly to AIMA International to, I think, ascertain and understand what they are or to to get a feeling um, where they've come from, which are essentially the text prior to um, the the newer releases and how we've broken down. Once you've uh, become familiar with these texts, you know essentially what these seven divisions are or subsets are irrespective how you want to term them I turn them um, as keys because it's very specific and uh, in a manner of speaking that it's very concise and there is a very underlying there's an underlying reason why that's the case um, the rule of specificity is as well and we want to keep things ni- nice and clear But in in saying that, when we're looking at those keys, we know why there's a break and how it um, affects, obviously, a player's performance. All right, back onto the rankings. Uh, Essentially, the top 20 has maintained um, course with Svitolina sitting at 20. I'm definitely flagging her to progress closer towards the top 10. Garcia's at 21. I'm flagging her again to ascend back inside the top 20. Pavla Chenkova has been a big move, 24. She's moved up, so she's cracked back inside to the top 30. This is not surprising. I'm not going to be surprised if Pavla Chenkova reaches back inside the top 20, sitting at around 16, 17 um, within the next couple of weeks. And that would probably be where she really deserves to be sitting. Same goes with Azarenka. She's moving up back inside the top 30 sitting at 27 she's definitely I think on the rise and we all know has the capacity to comfortably sit inside the top 20. Noskova remember from the Australian Open and her run there she's holding firm inside I think the top 30 but yes Stremska and Kostyuk even though they're both inside the top 30 they've had a slight regression and they probably will continue to regress unless they're able to deliver more consistent performances um, which are a run-on effect in a manner of speaking. 
Um, we've got other movers. Um, we've got Fernandez, who's been improving. Um, she's moved up five places to 33. And I think if she's able to maintain her current level of play, she will slide back into the top 30. And it'll be very interesting to see how she goes from there. Especially, I really want to remember that run at the US Open. And she didn't get as much, I think, um, credit after that in, in contrast to uh, Raducanu, who walked away with that just that, that incredible win. But Fernandez has really been able to, I think, maintain that level of play, hovering around that, that 30 mark. Um, Pliskova has had a very big move. 36 now. That's 23 places. That's a very big jump. Andreva has a slight regression, but hey, remember, 16 years of age inside the top 40. Kalinskaya, again, remember her results at the Australian Open. She's comfortably, she's at 40. I think in the, in the next couple of weeks, we'll see if there's going to be a progression or a more drastic, I think, regression. Stephens holding firm, 41, all okay there, but Collins, a very big jump for I think Collins has the capacity to break into the top 20. Uh, this season, again, being her final season on tour, um, with, I think, let's say, um, more uh, fairer draws, where she won't be running into, I think, the top seeds um, early on in the rounds. Uh, but at the same uh, rate, she's a dark horse no matter where she goes which means she causes a lot of trouble for seeded players. Uh, Kennan's had a bit of a regression there, um, so she's dropped to 55. Martic has been improving. She's at 61. And I think that really rounds out, I think, the top 100 primarily. But Dosa's been clawing her way back steadily. She's had a slight rise, so she's at 74. Um, Taylor Townsend, 82. She's hovering there. Um, and I think um, Harriet Dart has been improving. She's at 91. So we've got a couple of newcomers there, some that are steady. And I think um, Erica Andreeva, so she's 19, Maria's sister there. And she's cracked into the top 100, which is incredible for her. That's one to watch. And I think she doesn't get as much credit as her younger sister because those results have not come her way just yet. But I'm definitely marking her to progress steadily, potentially towards the top 60 in the world this season. Maybe not as far as her sister, um, however, th this season, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how she stacks up at the Grand Slam level. So come Roland Garros. And given that she has cracked inside, uh, the, the top 100, uh, it's going to be quite interesting to see how that plays out. Look, as far as the rankings are concerned, we've got Swede, Tex, Sabalenka, Gore, Ribikina, Pagula, okay, that round out the top five, which brings me, I think, to, not that we're there yet, but this week's Dubai Championship is Sabalenka's back in action and Swiatek as well. It'll be very interesting to see if they end up facing each other in the final. I'm not too sure if that will be the case, given that uh, Swiatek has had a, quite a big, big week. And same goes, obviously, with Rubikina. 
which brings us over let's have a look at Qatar now we know the result but I'm going to go through or pick up from last week's episode because there's a lot to discuss I think in here a lot of matches and a couple of surprise packets Austin Penko she went through in the round of 32 very easily over Kalanina Rubikina same Asak got a very good win over Martin now Asaka has been rising in the rankings I think um, she was roughly around 500 and now she's cracked the top 300 I think it was around 290 291 when I looked um, Gorf fell in the round of 32 to Siniakova, 6-2-6-4. Now, this is what we're looking at when we're looking at maintenance rate of progress. Obviously, Goff did make the semifinals at the Australian Open, but we're looking at these gaps in between, um, especially how we can pinpoint, I think, those... Um, varying levels why this is the case and where we get those glitches in a manner of speaking one too many hiccups then we know there's a regression um, on the way but uh, falling two and four to senior COVID is somewhat surprising so let's see what the next two to three weeks I think and how they unfold because again golf had a stellar end to the 23 season so but we're looking to see what happens now this season um, golf had a better performance at the Australian Open than Swiatek but Swiatek has come back to obviously claim this one but I think it's it's the matches in between that get quite interesting Jabul for example again she fell early to Serenko so 6-3-6-2 and again these are two top 10 players losing in the round of 32 which again is somewhat surprising but it is a little bit of a warning sign so caution there especially when we've got Ribikina against Zhu 2-1 and one in the round of 32 winning very easily and again, Gorf is obviously ranked ahead of Ribikina and Jabur um, is very closely behind. Pliskova, to complement her ranking rise in three against Potapova in the round of 32. Andreeva, who I was touching on earlier, um, Erica, she went down in three, but that is a very tight match there. Collins got a very good win over Buzkova, four and five in the round of 32 and Naskova again who I touched on down Sakari in three sets that's a very good win for her remembering her results at the Australian Open and how some of these players have been flagged and or on the radar um, at this point in time but this really I think highlights Sakari's regression outside the top 10 but it really should be a warning sign for the other players I've touched on and their susceptibility to uh being removed from that 8% range towards that 2% becoming more susceptible. And essentially, when we're looking at the top 10, we're looking at those micro percentages. Again, how I've shared in, uh, I think, my books and how it is these micro discrepancies that distinguish players who go on to win a Grand Slam or multiple Grand Slams as Swiatek has done or Osaka as, as well and, and, and I guess she's coming back even as a ranker as well and how it gets very interesting and how I think this uh, paves out but Dosa 
fell to Fernandez, but Fernandez a very good win because Bedosa has started to find some of that form that got her inside the top 10. But Bedosa took the first set against Fernandez, six love. That is absolutely absurd. But then Fernandez found her rhythm two and three. Um, after Pavlichenkova went through against Kostuk in the round of 32, but Kostuk retired very early on, which is a little bit concerning given, especially, she had a stellar Australian Open. So, hopefully, she does recover from there. Now, this is a very good win. Round of 16, Azarenka over Austin Penko. Six loves, six three. It's a little bit ironic, though, that after this result, Austin Penko progressed to become a barrier breaker inside the top 10, um, sitting at number nine. Um, again, even falling. However, that said, she has been one of the standout players so far this season. So she definitely deserves that top 10 tennis ranking. However, again, the rankings are ironic at times because it did obviously come after Azarenka got the win. I would love to see Azarenka with these wins be rewarded with that ranking inside the top 20. She definitely is deserving of that. And I think she can edge closer towards the top 15 in, I think, that the next, uh, let's say, three to four months if this level of play is able to be sustained. Swiatek, a very good win over Alexandrova. One and four playing very clean. A Rivikina three sets over Navarro. Pliskova over Noskova three sets. I'm going to say Noskova. She held her own and she has been progressing. Again, Australian Open and now round of 16 in Qatar, three sets against Pliskova. A very good result. Noskova, even though she didn't progress as far as some other players at the Australian Open, she is the standout who has been able to hold her own and recall this was flagged at the time again a big fan of what the data does here Fernandez over Zeng very interesting result because we know um, Zeng's performance and how well she's been tracking inside the top 10 so for Fernandez to get that win that is a very good win one of her best I think in the last 12 months but I think primarily this season Osaka did get the walkover against Sorenko. Collins got the win over Sidniakova and Vondrausa fell to Pavlichenkova. Now remember, uh, Vondrasova is inside the top 10. Pavlichenkova has been rising. And it's really important to remember, Pavlichenkova is a dark horse. She has made the finals of the French Open before, but she's steadily or primarily been inside the top 30 to top 20, I think uh, for a good part of the last oh, 10 years at least. Um, and of course, there have been fluctuations there, and that's why Pavlichenko she's on her way to crack into the top 20 again. But with this loss, I think coupled with the result of the Australian Open, Vondrasova is being flagged to be inside that 2%. Uh, 2% of those players who are susceptible to regressing outside the top 10. Zeng is the same. Even though she's a new barrier breaker this season, she, she's yet to showcase that maintenance of a top 10 player who's inside the 8%, who essentially harnesses all eight keys. 
Does she? Absolutely not. She is on the cusp of regressing again unless she's able to hold on to and I essentially solidify those eight keys into her game. All right, quarterfinals. Asaka fell to Pliskova, but look at this. Two tie breaks, 7-6, seven, 7-6. Six, seven, six. And this is Asaka's, I think, homecoming in a manner of speaking. This was the result she was looking for. Even though she lost, she can, I think, keep her head held high because this, this level of play she's been able to deliver this early on this season, she's definitely tracking the higher results. Will her ranking be inside the top 20 at year's end? I'm not too sure considering it is 290 at the moment. But if she's able to latch up some good wins, she's going to be inside the top 100 within, I'd say, the next six to seven weeks. Come the French Open, Wimbledon with really good results, I'd say round 16 or further, inside the top 40. End of the year, potentially, if the US Open, she goes deep. She's definitely in the running to, let's say, break into the top 15 rankings and potentially become a barrier breaker. Although there's, there's a very, I think small time frame when we're looking at that ranking range but if anyone's capable of doing so it is definitely Osaka. Swiatek against Azarenka. Now Azarenka I was touching on is in very good form but sixth love in that second set. That is absolutely breathtaking. 6-4 against Azarenka though. I'm going to say that second set just ran out of gas a little bit. Ribikina over Fernandez, four and two. And um, that is a very solid result for Ribikina and what we really want to see. These two, Swiatek and Ribikina, were so deserving of that final. Collins fell to Pavlichenkova. And again, we know Collins is a standout player. Pavlichenkova, five and four, is absolutely solid in that respect. Now, Ribikina to win two and four against Pavlichenkova is again a, a, a very solid result but for Pavlachenkova to go 6-4 in that second set it really underscores how close the match was and I think that really needs to be highlighted. Unfortunately Pliskova because of the schedule it, it was a bit too much so Swiatek did get the walkover so arguably she did have the fresher legs on the day of the finals. 7-6 uh, first set 6-2 and I think given that walkover it really favored Swiatek in that second set but this is what I'd love to see players inside the top 10 this close this is what it's all about and what it should be um, in contrast to it being lopsided and we see I think more of that lopsidedness um, in players not ranked inside the top five primarily um, however more so we see a bit of a gap there on the ATP tour um, at times but this is I think a stellar start to the season so I'm looking forward to see if Sabalenka can hold her own and I'm putting Swiatek, Ribikina and Sabalenka in the three um, and I want to see Gorf I think go further in Dubai um, to maintain, I think, her hold on four. And Pagula, even though she's five in the world, I really want to see her up there as well. Let's see those quarterfinal, semifinal results consistently 
throughout the season. All right, well, this brings us over to Dubai. And look, we're only into, I think, look, round of 64, early 32s. Um, Swiatek has got the buy. I'm going to run down from the top of the draw, then down. Stephen's got a very good win. Okay, three sets, and she will be playing Soyatek next. And I think that'll be a very interesting match because um, Stevens, we know she can pack the punch. She has a very powerful game. And it'll be very interesting to see how Soyatek is pulling up after that Qatar win. Um, all right, we've got Maria over Gracheva, uh, two and one. Svitolina, a very good win over Kalanina, three and seven, six. All right, Bronzetti over Kazakina, three sets. And this is what's been flagged. Why Kazakina has not been flagged as a barrier breaker yet this season? Because she's hovering around 13, 12 in the world. She does have the capacity to join the top 10. However, she has briefly been there before. So she's more susceptible to being inside that 2%, even though they're inside the top 10, but to also regress soon after. Potapova over Zoo in three sets. Lynette fell down to Hibino in three. Um, all right, Gorf has the bye, and she's going to be facing um, Cocchioretto, who downed Mertens. That's a very good win for her in three set seven six in the third Poliskova, good to see her back over zhang three and five in i i guess that first round there kruger over garcia now this is a, a little bit i think troublesome here when i flagged garcia who's sitting at 21 has the capacity to progress closer towards the top 15 but this is two consecutive early round i think uh losses for garcia so we're yet to see that level of maintenance or that level of play that allowed her uh, more than a season ago now to claim those WTA finals. Does she have the capacity? Of course she does. However, she is currently on, um, she's reached a plateau, if not a regression, but it's um, somewhat stuck. And I've touched on this, I think, in previous episodes, along with the books. Um, but we're looking for, I think, more of that uh, kickstart. Austin Penko, she got that win, which is really good to see that she's cracked into the top 10 and now it has been backed up with a very good win. Three sets against Wang in that first round. But Dokes unfortunately retired. This is a bit, I think, heartbreaking because we know she's been sidelined with an injury. This season she's coming back, but to have a regression um, in this matter, being retired after that first set, 6-4, it was close. Bit disheartening, so I hope she's back soon. Kalinskaya, so remember, I think the highlight again from the Australian Open, she's upholding this over Hunter. And Storm Hunter has had a relatively good start this year with her singles. But remember, she has had a stellar season all the last 12 plus months in respect to her doubles. Um, Sakari has got the bye. She will play Navarro next, who got the win over Sinia Kova. Now, it'll be very important here to see how Sakari plays. Can she deliver 
and crack back into the top 10 because remember she only needs to replace Makova there who's on the cusp sitting at 10 in the world. Fernandez a very good win first up over Paris straight sets. Paolini again remember from the Australian Open what a win over her dad Maia. See three sets six love in the third set and this is what gets me excited. Again Paolini was flagged at the Australian Open and to be able to deliver this type of performance against another player inside the top 20 who was inside the top 10 is a very good indicator. Uh, Fretch over Alexandra Rober, Martic over Dolenhide. Um, as a ranker, a very clean win over Rus, who will play as a ranker, will play Ribikina next. That will be very interesting to see how Ribikina has pulled up from the finals at Qatar. Remembering Swiatek got the win, but she had that walkover. Ribikina has not had an off day other than, I guess, between the finals to now when she will play. I think I am at some stage uh, today. Um, as a ranker, very good form. I would really like to see that go in three sets. However, let's remember Swiatek's result over Azarenka. So I'll be uh, watching that and we will discuss that next week. Vondrasova got the bye. Let's see if she's able to, I think, hold firm against Stearns. Again, this will be a very good indicator to how I think her rhythm is going, her patterns of play, how they unfold. Stearns, a good win over Andreeva. Um, three sets. But that's still either way. Remember, Andreeva's inside the top 40 and she's holding strong, but only 16. So still a very good performance. Pavlachenkova able to back her, I, I think, her current results will level a play up with a win through the first round against Buskova. Um, Samsonova got the win over Tomova. Wow, this is a very big draw. Yastremska did fall to Kudamatova. And this is what we're talking about. We want to see that level of maintenance. However, look at this scoreline. Six love, one six, six love. That is a roller coaster. Sir Steyer against Kennan straight sets. However, Sir Steyer, we know she's in prime form. Even though she's at the later half of her career, that's a very good win. Kennan has progressively been finding her game again, but I'm yet to see that performance peak that we've talked about previously. Wang falling to Vekic. And now Vekic is around 30 in the world. I think she's around 31, 32. This is a good win, although she's um, got Sabalenka next. Now that will be very interesting. All right, that really wraps up where we're at in Dubai. Um, and it is only, we've only touched on the first rounds and second rounds are obviously underway later today, uh, tomorrow, um, when this episode will come to air. But we will track back and use, I think, from the round of 32 onwards next week, like we've done with Qatar, to, to really, um, I think, see where the players are standing. And I like this across section where we're able to tick off one tournament and introduce the earlier rounds of the second because it really gives an opportunity to share, I think, those additional insights on how a player has peaked and if they've been able to maintain that level in the earlier rounds of the next tournament or if there's been a steep regression. Uh, personally, it's very interesting as far as the data is concerned as it really shares a lot, uh, I think, very 
very subliminally, but it also highlights, I think, areas to keep an eye on. Okay, the other event for the WTA that's underway at this stage is Puerto Vallarta um, down over in Mexico. Um, it's a smaller lineup. It's still um, not a bigger field. It's a round of 32. And I think we've got um, some, let's say, players ranked closer around the top 100 um, playing here. But these are the events that are going to really, I think, run home players who are going to eventually crack inside the top 60, 50, and 40 to, I think, um, potentially and steadily ascend inside the top 30. Um, Wickmayer, for example, is playing. There's only been a couple of matches that are underway. We've got um, Zazahu over Contreras um, that's underway at the moment. That's a 6-3 to Zazua um, um, in the first set currently underway. Again, I apologize for the mispronunciation. We've got Montgomery against Sierra coming up. Um, one of the matches that's been completed is Kale against uh, Paquet. Now, McNally is playing. We've got Bozaz Manorio. Uh, Townsend is playing. Riera has got the first win against Lee with a retirement in the third. Um, we've got Taylor Preston and Aussie playing Perez Diaz in the first round. And I think that really, I think, uh, sums up this tournament. That we've got some players that I think we're not so familiar with that uh, typically only progress in the first sec or second round of a Grand Slam if they're on their current peak performance cycle. So we're not really, I think, looking at tracking them or whether they are on the radar or not. Players who are on the radar or who are being tracked in Dubai. However, the player of, I think, this event that comes out in the semi-finals, but primarily with the win, they will go on to potentially be flagged um, and we'll look at their level of consistency, their rate of progress, um, and if it's been able, um, able to be maintained throughout the season or if it's a one-off. Typically, we want to see, I think, these players start somewhere, somewhere with their maiden title, with that win, and they're able to build upon that. So Porto Vallarta um, is a very good starting point, a platform in a manner of speaking, to see where one of these players is going to, I think, end at the end of the week. And if I think they're able to align that with their ranking in, I think, this current season. All right, now it's time to track on over to the ATP Tour and look at those ranking movers. One of the ranking movers this week, which is really good to see, is Sinner. Sinner has cracked into the top three. So he has replaced Medvedev here. And we know Medvedev has been sitting at three for some time now. And we know, I think, with Sinner's recent win, um, incredibly deserving. But if we're looking at the ranking points, he's still still a very big jump away from Alcaraz and then Djokovic. But again, Medvedev is only five points behind, which means these two are going to fluctuate if they're able to maintain their current level of play. But 
sitting at five is Rublev, and he is, he's quite a big jump away. That's over 3,000 points. And the same with Zarev. Um, and Rune is an extra 2,000 points behind Zarev. Um, and her cax is very similar. But the good news, and especially for the Aussies, is that Demur has cracked back into the top 10. He broke into the top 10 earlier. Um, I think it was just before the Australian Open slight regression in the rankings and I don't think that was because of him I think that's just how the rankings were playing out that week but look he's back he made the finals of Amaro and now he's back inside at number nine which is really good to see is pushed Fritz to 10 and Fritz is definitely flagged to regress outside the top 10 because Tissipas for the first time in I want to say at least six to seven seasons is now now outside the top 10 at number 11. However, um, if he has a very good performance this week, and I think in the next two to three weeks, he will track back and become a barrier breaker once again. However, both Fritz and Tissipas are a part of that 2% given they're inside on door. If um, Tissipas cracks back inside the top 10, they're both very susceptible due to their, uh, their level of maintenance which really differentiates them from the other uh, players inside the top 10, those inside the 8%. Because we know when we're looking at metrics, what makes a player more susceptible to less susceptible? Rudd has slightly progressed at number 12, um, but Dimitrov's at 13. Both Rudd and Dimitrov, um, if they're able to progress further this season and push the marker, they will jump back inside the top 10. Of course, it's been some time for Dimitrov. Uh, Rudd, we know, has been as high. I think it was as four. It could have been as three, maybe even two before Alcaraz came along. I don't have, I think, those metrics in front of me. But we know both are capable. Um, Paul has been having a very good start to his season, and he's at 14. And we've got three Americans back-to-back. TFO's at 15, then Shelton's at 16. And all three of them, uh, we know they're very solid, but Paul has been the standout this season. Um, Humbert's at 18. Jarry's um, taken a slight jump to 19. Uh, Manorino's are at 20, and Bublik is at 21 with a progression there. Um, no predominant standouts inside the top 30. Um, everyone has put predominantly been maintaining their form when we're looking at players inside the top 40 through to 45 very big jumps alexander shevchenko has jumped to 45 12 places um, that's probably the biggest jump we're seeing inside i think the top 50 59 is Facundo Diaz Acosta, 28 places he has jumped. That is the biggest one, I think, inside the top 100. Monfils has slightly uh, progressed to 68 in the world. But other than, I think, those key players, uh, one other player would be Federico Correa, 21 places he's jumped to 85, which means he's cracked inside the top 100 so congratulations to him um, most other players have been maintaining their form and at 100 in the world uh, Alexander Kovacevic an American 
jump two places so he's cracked inside the 100 a big congratulations to him as well but i think that really rounds out the atp tours and the top 100 so let's jump over to the um amro open this was really exciting because we know who walked away sinner against dimanur in the final and it was close seven five six four but before we get there, let's jump back where we kicked off last week. Now, round of 16 here, um, Humbert, remember he progressed last week and he had, was a ranking mover. He lost then in the round of 32 to Rusvori. I really hope I pronounced that a little bit at least correctly. <laughs> Monfils got the win over Shapovalov and Shapovalov had to uh, qualify here and Monfils got that wild card, 7-6-7-6. Very tight, it'd be very good, I hope, to see Shapovalov uh, progressing again this season. We know he was on the cusp of the top 10. He may have briefly been positioned inside the top 10, but since then, he has been regressing. Um, so really hoping for Shapovalov to have a healthy, good season. Rune got the win, round of 32 again. Dimitrov against Negro got the win. Sinner against um, Dzenshulp, Zen, three and three, round of 32. Rainich in the round of 16 got a good win against Bublik. Now this really goes to showcase Rainick's potential and the level of maintenance he's able to deliver when he's healthy because Bublik has been playing very good and I think from just looking at the rankings a moment ago Bublik we know is inside the top 25 top 20 edging there and for Rainick to get this type of win I hope that gives him a lot of confidence and he can have a let's say a relatively good season we just want him to stay healthy Felix went down in the round of 16 however it was to Rublev in three sets now this is I think a very good result Felix is cracking almost inside the top 30 I really love to see him back inside the top 20 at least and this is a start because taking Rublev to three sets uh, all credit to Felix, but well done to Rublev for coming over that because it was 3-6-7-6-7-5. Dimonure against Goffin, 3-1. That was very clean. Continuing the round of 16, Herkax, he went down to Grekenspor, three sets. Now, this is a little bit of a flag for regression. However, Herkax, top 10, inside that 8%. Let's see if he can maintain that and pick up that form this coming week. Dimitrov, a good win against Fuksovics. Um, Rusevori against Leonard Struff in straight sets. Monfils took Sinner to three sets in the round of 16. So that's a very good win for Sinner and a very good level of play, I would say, for Monfils. And Rune went down to Shevenko in three sets. Now, this is one of those results, and similar to how I've shared on the WTA tour, this really flags Rune to potentially regress. Even though he's comfortably inside the top 10, he's sitting at seven in the world. And I've touched on, I think, in the recent weeks, um, whether it is um, in one of our episodes or in one of our blog posts, Rune is more susceptible to regressing outside the top 10 if that coaching matrix that I've touched on is not fine-tuned. 
there's a reason why he's not stacking up those wins um, alike let's say the top five six players in the world and even though he's seven in the world there is a very big difference in his level of play his level of consistency um, versus Rublev for example and if he wants to progress to the quarterfinals semifinals consistently at the Grand Slam level around a 16 loss here is not what we're after. So we know there are some specific gaps in his game that needs addressing. Dimitrov in the quarterfinals against Shevchenko. So that really underscores, I think, the difference. And Dimitrov is 13 in the world. So when we're looking at seven in the world, Rune, Dimitrov, 13 in the world, getting the win over Shevchenko, who is not seeded. That's a very good win for Dimitrov. However, again, it's underscoring that gap that Rune currently has in his coaching team. Greek and Spore, again, over Rusevori, uh, straight sets in the quarterfinals. And what a win for Dimonor against Rublev quarterfinals, three sets, seven, five, four, six, six, three. That's a tough one. But again, Alex cracking back into the top 10 and getting that win over Rublev really underscores, I think, his current results. And Alex is definitely flagged to nudge closer towards, I'd say, the top five. Um, I would arguably say he's going to replace Rune in the rankings. There's going to be a switch there. Alex is going to progress to roughly around seven in the world. And Rune's going to regress to nine in the world within, let's say, the next two to three months. It could potentially be earlier, depending on their respective, uh, I think, um, level of play, um, their rate of progress there. But Demore is showing the signs that we're looking for um, to potentially progress further at the Grand Slam level. Um, Rune, unfortunately, is a co in contrast. And look at this quarterfinals. Sinner against Raonic. It looks like it was one all in the second set and potentially Raonic retired. Um, it's not flagged here, but that is really unfortunate. And yes, it is. I'm just seeing it now. Uh, again, I'm really hoping Raonic can keep, I think, um, a, just a level of maintenance where he's healthy. But Sinner has been playing exceptional. Although, let's have the score there that first set went to Sinner 7-6 semi-finals Greek and Spore went all the way but 6-2-6-4 to Sinner um, that's a very good win and then Dimonor 4-3 against Dimitrov that's a very good win for Alex especially considering it was only one two weeks ago where they were aligned in the rankings and then we know the final result was um, Sinner against Dimonor 7-5-6-4 uh, now that is incredibly close but definitely what we want to see Okay, that brings us to now the Delray Open. And we know the result here. Fritz getting a very good win that I'm saying is keeping him inside the top 10. But also how I've mentioned Tommy Paul's progress. Now he's really been bringing it. But that's a 6-2-6-3 over Fritz. I'm going to go a little bit quickly now because I've looked also at the time. But I'm, I really want to do, um, I think, um, a, a due diligence here um, on both tours so we could go a little bit longer than typically but look let's track back semi-finals Fritz against Giron Giron's been having a very good last I want to say month 7-6-6-2 to Fritz 
Paul against TFO. Now, I think Paul actually has been playing a lot better than TFO just a bit. TFO has not found, I think, his level of play this season just yet. Typically, TFO from memory finds that form later on in the season. Um, primarily the US Open, we know he gets a lot of energy there and I, I think it's definitely one of his favourites. But two and two, Paul did get the win. Um, any standouts here? Quarterfinals, Fritz against the Aussie Rinky, three and three. Tivo against Caboli. Uh, Paul got a good win against Thompson and Jerron over Kypeson. That really rounds out the quarterfinals. And round of 16, there really aren't too many surprise packets. Uh, Fritz, Jerron, very comfortable there. Um, Rinky against Analdi, which I think we touched on last week. Jerron got a very good win against Manorino. So when we're really looking at Del Ray Beach. We know Fritz was able to, I think he was defending his title there, but I think all credit goes to uh, Tommy Paul for, I think, being able to, I think, not only make the finals, but really being able to bring it um, despite what the scoreline suggests. But again, hat off to Fritz because he was flagged at the beginning of the season prior to the Australian Open to regress outside the top 10, and he did, but he's fine his form again and he's somehow nudging and holding on to that top 10 tennis ranking but that's what we want to see if he's able to solidify not just the seven keys in his game but all eight keys Fritz has the capacity to be a part of that eight percent have we seen it yet no does he have the capacity of course he does but we're looking for that level of consistency to shine through okay let's this brings us now to the Argentina open let's track back I think to the earlier rounds round of 16 and I'm looking at any surprise packets and we got Nori he fell in the round of 16 to Korea and so it's a very good win for him and also we've got Alcaraz round of 16 got a very good win over uh, Carabelli 2 and 5 but let's move on to the quarterfinals Alcaraz a good win over Vasori um, Jari a very good win over Echeverry Jari was inside the top 20 I think roughly one to two seasons ago at the moment I think he He's around 80 in the world trying to claw his way back. Alright, then we get the semi-finals and look at this. Jari got the win over Alcaraz. 7-6-6-3. I know Alcaraz got a little bit of flack for this, but that's why I want to underscore Jari, how he was inside the top 20, tracking towards the top 10. But not quite, but why it's really important to um, not just look at rankings, but recall where a player um, was but also their baseline, so their capacity despite a regression. So that was a very good win for Jari. Unfortunate, obviously, for Alcaraz not bringing his A game, although that first set was 7-6 in a tiebreaker. Acousta got the win over Korea in the other semifinals, and look, 
look at this, Acosta got the win and I believe he had a wild card over Jari. 6-3-6-4, a very good win. That rounds out, I think, the players at the Argentine Open, which brings us to this week's tournament, the Rio Open. And Alcaraz lines up and he will be playing, I think, at some stage today, tomorrow. Warinka um, is up there and he will be playing Diaz Acosta. Um, I'm very interested to see how that pans out. Um, it's not a very strong draw in respect to, I want to say, uh, fellow players. Whereas we've got um, Alcaraz that's really standing out. Jari's in here as well. Um, we've got a couple of matches who have, I think, um, already a bit underway. Nori over Delhi in three and two and Barrios, sorry, Vera over Heidi, seven, five, six, three. So it's very early on, but arguably that is one where Alcrez is going to start to find his form. And you can see how some players are favoring uh, the hard court still, while others have already jumped to the clay court season like Alcaraz, especially obviously with the uh, French Open that's next up. However, the hard court season is still very much underway. All right, this brings us to Doha. Um, Qatar for the men. Rublev with a bye first round. This is a bit more of a heavier draw. 32. Uh, Murray's back in action. Oh, Murray. Uh, my apologies there. Humbert as well. Senegro got an early um, loss against Kotov. Now that's somewhat surprising. So let's track to see. Um, Humbert's next against Kotov and maybe this is a breakthrough tournament. Um, we've got Monfils again back in action. Zhang against Mazzetti. Mazzetti uh, went down two and love and this is I think two or three earlier rounds where he has fallen so he's flagged for somewhat of a regression Poprin, he got the win against Shalbaya. Now, three sets, Poprin has been uh, progressing, which is, uh, I want to keep an eye out on that because uh, Poprin, even though he's ranking slightly regressed, I want to say his game has reached a new plateau, which has steadily been progressing. Now, I acknowledge that somewhat of a play on words there, but it's something to keep an eye on. Um, um, Fuxovics against Bautista Agut, one and three there. But we know, and I've touched on this in previous episodes, Bautista Agut, he's still a danger. He was that top 10 player for some time. But Fuxovics, he really has been able to, I think, um, find a new rhythm that is somewhat troubling against players inside the top 30 to 20 but not quite when we're looking at those inside the top 15 not yet um, the other match that's been underway is Marizan versus Copriva 7576 now again Kakanakov will be playing the, the winner of that however it's very early on. Uh, the last event to touch on is um, in Mifel. Uh, and this one has Zarev as the number one seed. Uh, we've only got a couple of matches that are underway. Dimonoy is here as well. And I think Dimonoy is potentially, I think, flagged to, I think, uh, not only make the finals, fingers crossed, with Zarev, but Schwartzman's in action, Thompson's 
Jerome's in action. Arnaldi's back in action. Jerome and Rudd. Uh, Rudd's uh, got the bye in the first round. So this actually is a bit of a tougher draw when we're looking at Purcell's even in there. So Rudd, Diminor and Zareb. We've got three top 10 players. Evans in the mix there and Draper. But let's see, and we'll touch on this next week, how far Zarev can go, Diminor can go after that big run that he's recently had being that finalist and Rudd as well primarily, if this is the event that's going to nudge him closer towards the top 10. Now I think this really rounds out when we're looking at the WTA Tour, ATP Tour. It's been a really big jam-packed week. Uh, we have gone over uh, a little bit today. Um, but again, I touched on very early on that uh, the ATP Tour has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven events we've touched on, and the WTA it's six events, sorry, and the WTA has three, so it's a lot smaller. But also when we're looking at tracking, um, also noteworthy, and I almost missed out is Tissipas is back in action this week as well with Rudd um, and this is going to be very big I didn't want to miss that because I didn't scroll down far enough that is my mistake my apologies so we this is actually a very big draw Tissipas Rudd Diminor and Zarev, they've all got buys the first round. And I tell you what, if all four of those players make the semi-finals, that's a very good, I think, um, kickstart for all four. And I would absolutely love to see Zarev and Diminor face off in the semis. But then also Rudd and Tissipas, if that's how the draw pans out. Because when those players toe the line with one another, let's have a look at the results because that will tell us, um, uh, give us a few additional insights I think especially with the French Open even though we're a few months away now but it's again it's, it's the clay court season so it'll be very interesting to see again how they're tracking all right we've done the ranking movements on both tours we've um, touched on all of the events we have gone over and we haven't even had the chance to dig into the chapter this week but before um, we say goodbye, uh, today's chapter, we actually are in chapter four of The Secrets to Optimal Coaching Success, which means we are over uh, halfway. And this chapter is on science in sport. And it's very interesting because uh, it really, I think, underscores the very beginning of beginning to ascertain better, I think, more um, science um, and it's role so more scientific metrics um, how it interplays with a player's performance um, how a coach can leverage it and how it's been really simplified so I'm going to leave you with I think um, some insights um, and I'll have a quick read of the opening chapter a key attribute to the role of science in sport is its universal acceptance as a whole, not simply its perceived sports-based component. Through its application, a multitude of technical parameters of human movement are readily available through science for the player-athlete to progress through or towards. Now, if you want to follow along, this is on page 114. 
And before we draw to a close, I'm going to give you one other paragraph to really, I think, close off today's episode. The role of science in sport is an integral key to the secrets to optimal coaching success. A primary secret is its acceptance overall, not just one stream of the sciences, i.e. sports science. Furthermore, its integration as a whole into coaches' underlying pedagogic practices. Too often, the sporting stream of the sciences, sports science, is drawn upon for the answers, where in fact, human performance is reliant on the sciences overall. It is simply the sports sciences that is seen by the naked eye. For instance, the secrets to optimal coaching success has broached this chapter, Science in Sport, without prior emphasis to the specific role of the sports sciences. This is a result of calling on alternate sciences as a whole and in turn the presented discussions. Thus, a key performance indicator is its very awareness science in sport. Without the deliminations frequently imposed by the sporting community, a change of understanding, science in sport is reflective of the sciences at work. This is a really exciting chapter and I'm going to uh, look forward to, I think, sharing more in the coming weeks because when we're looking at science, I think it's misconstrued. How I interpret science and talk about science is almost um, comical potentially for some because for me it is, it just is. It's so normal and how the, the metrics showcase how to develop the best players and coaches in the world. But more often than not, I think science is uh, assimilated with more jargon or scientific terms. Um, that does not have a very big applicability only in specific analyses or um, uh, one analysis of a given event, but that's not the case. And what I try to do um, throughout this body of work is to simplify science, get you to understand that we use science for fact to showcase this is something that's factual, which means how to develop a top 10 tennis ranking is factual it's backed by science but also a very rigorous data set but in reality we are using individuals on the wta atp tour and extracting this data so you don't have to and what i've done with that is that i've designed specific blueprints um different models different frameworks in a manner of speaking you choose to really hold your hand and guide you towards that end goal. Uh, And when we're looking at that end point, it is achieving the ultimate, that top 10 tennis ranking, coupled with that grand slam win, um, multiple grand slam wins, um, to really be able to hold on to that ranking inside the 8%, to avoid being susceptible to that 2% or being surpassed by a barrier breaker. But all in all, uh, sport and science and and the intersection here, and when we're looking at the tennis player to even the coach, 
we know what it takes and that's what's so exciting about Beyond Top 10 Tennis and why I'm here is to help you and to guide you towards uh, achieving, developing that Top 10 Tennis Ranking. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed, I think, that that last section, even though it was very small, I think in comparison to, I think, our earlier episodes that really focused on those key pieces of the chapters. We had a lot of tournaments to cover uh, today, but also a couple of ranking movers with those additional insights shared. Uh, But to grab your copy of The Secrets to Optimal Coaching Success and to, I think, continue along that introductory section, um, head on over to AMA International uh, to grab your copy of my new release um, that was uh, widely discussed in today's episode, uh, How to Develop a Top 10 Tennis Ranking. You can also find it on AMA International or head on over to Amazon, irrespective where you're based in the world, you will be able to grab a copy delivered straight to you. (laughs) For any comments or questions, head to AMA International or Topic Thread, the social platform set on data privacy. To interact with Beyond Top 10 Tennis, head on over to Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. Uh, To catch up on our blogs, head on over to AMA International and look for our blog tab or head on over to Medium. And as always, I'll leave all the links in the episode notes. For something different, head on over to Pink Octopus Books. That's where my fictional release is. Uh, For something left of field, visit Spruik for some random polls. And of course, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, like, share, and all of the above would be absolutely phenomenal. For those of you who are interested, we do have scholarships available on AMA International, as well as options to work with me exclusively to optimize your performance to nudge you closer towards that top 10 tennis ranking. So don't be shy, come and say hi. On that note, thank you so much for listening. I am so incredibly grateful. I am your host, Dr. Ashley Morgan Burge, and this is Beyond Top 10 Tennis, and I'll see you next time. Music